Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO, a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving, gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 260, and it's proudly brought to you by the ever-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support, and if you'd like to support the show, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. James, 260, we're well on our way to 300 here. 260, we're cranking through them. We've got some, actually something we can tease, uh, something special coming from Collective and Oris, uh, which includes a, a pretty interesting little set of uh, extras just for the TGN community. So uh, those of you on the crew, stay tuned uh, and watch your feeds for uh, something special. That's a, a little teaser to kick off the show today. But uh, <laughs> aside from that, how have you been? I think you're, you're in a different climate than mine uh, currently, aren't you? Yeah, we've we've uh, jumped right into winter here. I woke up this morning and actually, I mean, I hate, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but I had to go out and shovel snow. Wow. Yeah, and it's very blustery today. And I'm looking out at the back stairs. The railing has three inches of snow kind of heaped on it, and like the the roof is white, and the grass is covered. And yeah, it's uh, it's full on. I I took I took the uh, series three, uh, without the roof, uh, for one kind of final spin yesterday, all bundled up just for the, for the heck of it and uh, sure. tucked away back in the garage. But man, it's, uh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> Trick or treat. Uh, yeah, exactly. We're recording this, uh, kind of around lunchtime on Halloween, October 31st. Uh, no snow here for me, uh, but it's getting cooler for sure. Uh, so it, it should be a somewhat lesser um, <laughs> shoveling season for for me, but uh, I'll, yeah. I'll miss the the workout a little bit. That was probably the only thing I liked is if you got a big dumping of snow, and I could kind of push the start of work until nine nine thirty something like that, then I could go mm-hmm. out and shovel for an hour and get a pretty good workout in. Oh yeah, yeah, that is a good workout. Speaking of workouts, I uh, yesterday I jumped on the rowing machine and I I pulled up that uh, that YouTube playlist that you row twenty. Yeah, yeah, row twenty. Uh, which is kind of a 20 episode uh, rowing workout led by and they're all b- about 20 minutes long. Yeah. And, and it was good. I, I did the first one and it was very simple. It was kind of a, you know, benchmarking uh, assessment. And uh, I like the instructor, the the, the background music's a little cheesy, whatever, but like, he's good. He, he was encouraging without being kind of overbearing. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. So, uh, you know, you, you just had that in, I believe in a final notes or something recently about mm-hmm. The use of with your water rower that was fun yeah i think i did like f- five or six of them back to back and then i, I, I oh. kind of i fell <laughs> off of it and now yeah. i've got to get back to it but i'm traveling as of tomorrow morning um so it's it, yeah I'll, I'll pick it up again on thursday <laughs> yeah yeah it's tough. i hope and then you know speaking of kind of the, 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 the bad weather we're having here i just had a visit this morning from one of our listeners uh luke who um is a, a physician up in Duluth, a couple hours north of here on, on a good driving day. Uh, he made a trip down. He's, he's flying off somewhere and, and uh, stopped by because he, he bought one of my watches off of our Slack community, uh, which nice. was a success story. If you're not on Slack and that's uh, one little kind of perk of being there is it's a, it's a really friendly environment to, to buy and sell watches. But anyway, he bought a watch for me and, and rather than ship it up to Duluth, uh, he said, you know, look, next time I'm down in the Twin Cities, I'll stop by and, and pick it up. So he, he swung by this morning. It's always fun to meet a, a TGN listener in person, and uh, and he was kind enough to bring me uh, a lovely bottle of uh, Japanese single malt, a Hibiki. So you know, thanks again for that, Luke, and and safe travels. And 
you know, if you're listening to this, uh, yeah, I think he's off somewhere warmer. So, uh, Luke sounds like that. an absolute gentleman showing up with a beaky, buying a watch. Not bad. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 I'm not going to say he set the, he set the bar or set the standard. So, uh, you know, that no expectations, you know, just saying I, I do love to meet TGN listeners, even if they're not carrying a bottle of, of Japanese whiskey, but, uh, yeah, it was fun to, fun to see him. Yeah. I've made, I've made a concerted effort to cut back on my on my uh my whiskey intake the last couple of months but uh it is that nice nice season for a glass of hibiki no question (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was tempted to pour one for the episode but i thought you know i've got to keep my wits about me so it's a little early still yeah for sure lunch a lunchtime hibiki is a big move for sure yeah right right (laughs) And, and you're headed to new york uh this week right I am, yeah. So uh, this came up very last minute uh, to swing down to New York for some meetings. Uh, So I'll go down. By the time this episode actually goes up, I'll be coming home. Uh, So it's a very, very quick trip. I go down for one night um, to get some meetings done. Uh, A little bit uh, like more of our extended team is going to be in New York. Uh, So it's a chance to see some people that I don't commonly get to see even when I'm in New York. Yeah, uh, because like the the editorial team for Hodinkee is pretty spread out at this point. We only have a couple people actually in New York proper. Hmm. Uh, so when we get a chance to be in the same place, it's good to do the you know it's not it's not not go as hard as like a retreat or a summit or something like that. Yeah, but it's nice to be able to sit down and actually see people face to face and get some lunch or a dinner that sort of thing. So yeah, go down uh, for maybe a little bit more than twenty four hours, depending on. When I return, uh, those of you who listen know I like to just buy the last flight of the day, and then when I'm actually done, I'll just go to the airport and get on standby for something else. Yeah, which on a Thursday should be fine, uh, and and pretty straightforward. And even if you're stuck in a middle seat, right, it's a short flight, so you can tolerate it. Definitely for a flight to New York, I could I could stand and hold a pole like a like it's a Ryanair <laughs> flight. I don't care. Right, right. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just get me to the city in and out. I mean, you spent like it's an hour and ten minutes in the air, maybe, and I'll spend at least that much time just like getting to the airport, doing security, doing right. you know pre clearance and all that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. So who cares? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was hoping to minimize the travel. Uh, like I was hoping Dubai Watch Week is kind of the last and only trip for November, December. But uh, yeah, no, another quick little rundown to uh, New York. And then we've got uh, a drive down to Pennsylvania in the next little while for uh, some family stuff and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah a little bit of travel left, but nothing too stressful. Uh, Dubai Watch Week's coming together nicely. I think it'll be kind of fun. And, and definitely it's it's an entirely different sort of show than a Basel world or a, a watches and wonders or something like that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that and then getting a chance to chit chat about it on the show, you know, kind of late November, early December. Oh, cool. I've just got a last bit of news here. I uh, finally got the, uh, the print proof of Sweetwater. So then follow up to depth charge. My, my first novel uh, is done and dusted and the, the, the print proof looks good. So I'm, I'm getting ready to pull the trigger on, on kind of doing a full print run of that book and, and get that out there for sale. It'll be on Amazon and then I'll be selling, uh, signed copies myself, and there will be an ebook component as well, and hopefully at some point an audiobook. I know a lot of people have asked for that. Yeah, it's it's finally come together. It's been a long time coming. I finished writing it about a year ago, so um, really nice to finally see it in in the paper. Nice. Uh, and and here we are at this moment, and I I'm suddenly scrambling to figure out like a launch strategy. You know, I want to do an event. We we you know would love to do um, some chatting about it on TGN in the future, and mm-hmm. uh, just you know whatever but like i should have thought about uh, about this for the past year and like cooked <laughs> up a full but it's just it's not how i'm wired so anyway it'll come together and and just stay tuned to future episodes here and and to my uh instagram and and on my uh 
Swimproof Slack uh, blog as well. So all will be revealed very soon. Yeah, and we've got some plans for some cool stuff that should probably run, I'll say, likely in November. Yeah. Um, there's a good chance we'll take a week off in November as well with uh, Dubai Watch Week being a full week that I'm away. Yeah. Um, it can be difficult to kind of manage that. I don't really know what the internet scenario will be like there. Um, but there should be some fun kind of uncommon episodes in November that should help make up for, uh, for it being a, a, you know, short an episode that month. But I, I can't tell you, I'm so excited to read the book. I'm really, really pumped. Yeah. I can't wait for you to read it. Yeah. It's good. Uh, I can't wait for everybody to read it. It's, uh, it's been, yeah. uh, been a labor of love and a long time coming. So, man, I hadn't thought about that until you said it, like the idea that you finished this book a year ago. Yeah. So much hard work and effort and time and the rest of it. And you were done a year ago and now it's like, oh, now the rest of the job starts. Right. Right. And then when you release it, the other rest of the job starts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like promoting it and talking to people and, you know, Running maybe recording. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of FedEx yeah, and signing yeah. books and maybe recording some, some audio for it and that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, you, it, the work's never, never really done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's jump into risk check uh, before we get into our main topic. Um, I'm going to go second, which is uh, fitting uh, for kind of our main topic today. Um, so, what are you wearing today? You know, I pulled out the Marathon Navigator in steel. So, this is the original launch version from earlier this year that has the date. They just recently released a new version that's a no date, which I think is also pretty compelling. I don't mind the date on a watch this hyper functional. Mm-hmm. Like once you're already into two Arabic tracks and tritium loom and that kind of thing i I don't really mind a date like a 430 (laughs) date's not pretty but honestly this watch isn't about necessarily like aesthetic beauty as much as it is about this kind of functional beauty that i really like yeah um and i've just been wearing it and it's so it's just amazing on i've got it on uh, tgn gray nato perfect it's got the 12 hour bezel uh yeah i'm just a huge fan of this watch yeah yeah i am too and and you know certainly i've got uh I've got something somewhat similar in that uh, in the Benris Type Two um, that I wear occasionally, and and it's kind of that same case shape, and and they work so well on. Um, I really like them on NATO straps. They feel like they're just kind of made for that, but but they do work on other straps. But mine just kind of lives on a NATO, my Benris. But the but the Navigator is, uh, yeah, that's that's something special. I'm so glad they released that that one in steel. I've got a friend over in Sri Lanka that that has the, I think it was a fiberglass or acrylic case, and uh, and he loves that, and he's a pilot, and and. Uh, but the steel one's really, really good. Yeah, I think I, I, I don't mind the the composite case ones, um, but there is something about the steel that makes it feel like um, like a traditionally more like complete watch. Yeah, like there's some there's something about the 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 resin or the the composite case ones that make it feel more like something you buy for the military that's a little bit more disposable if it's beat up in the military, mm-hmm. which is sort of the point to right. a certain extent, keep the cost down, the functionality high. Yeah, This feels more like something like a complete offering for maybe someone who's not in the military or the Coast Guard or something like someone like me. Right, right. Um, who just wants a nice solid tool watch that's hyper accurate and super legible. Yeah, I absolutely love these. I just think they're a, an absolute screaming deal. You know, a brand with a Canadian identity that I absolutely love. Watches made in Switzerland, the high accuracy quartz, the tritium. It's very tactical, but doesn't feel overdone because the case isn't black, right? right. Like it, it still feels a little bit more like a late 70s expression of a tool watch, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Um, in, in that sort of vibe. And yeah, I, I'm just... I'm absolutely thrilled with it. I still really recommend that people consider checking one out, especially now that if you hated the date for whatever reason, which I can't blame you necessarily. But if that was the thing, then it would give you a chance now to to go without the date. You can buy it. And for, I think they're 800 bucks-ish within a couple bucks of that. Uh, I think 
killer value. Uh, like I said, and, and you said, um, great on a NATO, but also has drilled lugs. So kind of do whatever you want. I think these would also be really fun. It's all um, bead blasted or like matte mm, finished. Yeah. But if you could find a, a, a mesh with a similar finish, yeah. I think it'd be pretty fun on a mesh as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, finding a mesh with a matte finish, I mean, I used to buy those <laughs> WG28s right. from eBay, and then I would take a Dremel to them and remove the finish. Oh, sure, yeah. Because back in the day, you also had to cut those for yourself, and I preferred to do that with a Dremel too, yeah. like cut the links to shorten yeah. it. <laughs> and then I would take like a, those semi-soft, quote-unquote semi-soft wire brushes and just remove all the polish from yeah. it. Um, but I broke my my last, my final WG28 mesh, and only some of you will know who I mean. That was a seller on eBay that sold these inexpensive shark mesh style bracelets, like loose link mesh bracelets, Yeah, not like a Milanese. Um, uh, my last one finally broke the little post on the clasp. Oh, sure. Suddenly the clasp was open on my wrist and the post was gone. Um, so I, I could maybe figure out how to like well, JB weld another post in there. That would probably be the best option. Um, and then I bought, I went online and bought a couple clasps that I thought would fit and none of them fit. So I'm still, look, I'll find another one eventually. But sadly that shark mesh seems to have been, at least in, it's going to be in the shop for a little bit. But uh, yeah, I wanted to pick the the navigator because it it, it felt like it's in a similar um, vibe to the main topic of today's show. Yeah. It shares a couple letters <laughs> in terms of the same uh, the same thing with the navigator. Uh, today we're talking about a very special uh, Breitling Navitimer that kind of found you is the right way of saying yeah. it. Uh, and there's a cool story there. And I think that's what you've you've got on your wrist this week. So maybe maybe we'll kick off, we'll end wrist check and overlap into main topic with uh, with what you've got on. Yeah, I mean, you you, you talked about functional beauty, um, and this one oh yeah, this one's pretty spectacular. Um, and and if there was a watch that was going to displace the the Pelagos FXD that I've been wearing for a month straight, uh, it it was it was this one, and and it's kind of a strange, like completely different sort of watch in every possible way: um, water resistance, material, age, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I'm loving this thing, and and that's what I've got on my wrist today. So yeah, we can we can dig in. Let's jump into the main topic, which is this watch. Yeah, th- we wanted to talk about this watch. We also kind of wanted to kick off a new series because at this point when you and I kind of get interested in watches, it does take a bit of time mm-hmm. for them to either become ours or for that interest to fade. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like w- there's still the the knee jerk or the the late night boredom purchase watches you know those occasionally still happen Mm -hmm. and and we'll certainly talk about those but in these scenarios where there's like a longer story i wanted a chance to open up the show to tell the story of your relationship or our relationship with a given watch or interest in a given watch and why yeah and so this is the first of our deep dive series and it's going to be this episode will largely focus on your relationship with the greater idea of the breitling navitimer and then the more specifics of this one that you've you've found, and or like I said, that arguably kind of found you. <laughs> um, and and I, I think that the interesting thing for me about the Navitimer and why I kind of you know pinged you to see if you'd be interested in making this more of a series, a little bit more of a quote unquote deep dive on this watch, is for as long as I've known you, mm-hmm. and certainly for as long as we've been making TGN, yeah. you've loved Navitimers but haven't owned one. Right. Right. Like you're a huge Tom Wolf, right stuff sort of fan. Yeah. These watches are deeply in your vibe, but for whatever reason, and it took you a long time to finally land a second Pelagos, but like when, when we first met, you had a Pelagos. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Yeah. 
And for whatever reason, this is another watch that in my mind, if I wrote down, you know, your top five watches, yeah. I'd probably put an Avatimer on there, yeah. but you didn't have one. Yeah, it's true. And and I think that's kind of interesting to me. And then the other cool thing, and this is a quick shout out before we dive in deeper, about something I've been trying to find a, an interesting way of talking about on the show for a while now. Our buddy Paul Hubbard, who we were just talking about your Pelagos, the first Pelagos you had, Paul bought that off of you. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah, and at that time, I, I was very—you know—I know Paul very well, but I knew Paul very well at that time and didn't know you super well. And he said, "Oh, I bought Jason Heaton's <laughs> Pelagos." I was like, "That's cool. Jason Heaton's a pretty cool guy. That's a neat Pelagos. <laughs> That's so funny." And uh, and recently, Paul reached out to me, you know, in the last year, and said that he was interested in using machine learning. And we can have Paul on to talk more about this. I'm sure I'll get some of these details wrong. Paul is an incredibly intelligent person capable of doing some really remarkable things with software. And he has made an entire transcript of TGN. Yeah, yeah. So not just the show notes, like not just a way of searching the show notes with like Substack does, but it encapsulates the show notes and a transcript of everything that we talk about. It, it's not like 100%. It's a machine learning transcript, but it is remarkable. And I've used it now for a couple things. I've used it for a, a, a kind of special episode we have coming up soon. And then on top of that, for this episode, I thought it'd be cool to kind of dip into this and see how early it was that we started talking about Navitimers, how early in the show it was, because now we can just search. Yeah. And yeah. like, don't get me wrong, there's some words that maybe won't get picked up, but Navitimer feels pretty <laughs> distinct right? for right. even for a computer to figure out. So if you want to do this as you're if you're sitting at home on your computer, open up another tab, go to phfactor.net slash TGN. And you'll get to something called the complete C O M P L E A T T G N. And it's an entire transcription of the show, divided up by episode and the transcript of the of the given episode. And in the top right, you can click search. And immediately it populates. And let's see, there's episode 20. That's pretty early. Yeah, I'm looking at 78, 239, 56. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, seven, Partners in Time. Episode five, the Basel World Jet Lag Megasode. <laughs> and you can you can go through and check these out. I can see that in this one, we were still like in episode five. I can see a line that says, I'm Jason Heaton, a Minneapolis-based <laughs> freelance writer. So we're still doing the correct thing and introducing ourselves, which we barely do anymore. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I wanted to use this as a little bit of a thank you, a shout out to Paul for uh, phfactor.net slash TGN. If you would like to find an episode where we mention something, if you'd like to dig into kind of the data of the episodes, please visit this. And uh, and, and if you're on the TGN Slack or uh, or if you know Paul through any other channel, shout, shout him out, you know, say a thank you. I, I think this is a, a really impressive and cool thing. And I'm only just starting to think of ways that we can use this. But again, it's phfactor.net slash TGN. It's a complete transcript of the audio of uh, of the Grey NATO uh, from the first episode. So I guess in total, that's probably close to 275-some episodes. Wow. Yeah. With the ones that we didn't always number and, and some of the stuff we did early on. Uh, so a huge thank you to Paul. Uh, Paul, you remain a, a huge supporter of pretty much everything I've ever done. And and certainly TGN as well, and I can't thank you enough for pointing your uh, you know considerable technological abilities <laughs> towards transcribing all of TGN. Uh, but it does give us a chance to say that apparently we've been talking about the Navitimer since episode five, uh, which would have been very early 2016. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What was your what was your kind of 
introduction to the idea of an avatimer? Do you, can you remember that far back, like where, where it kind of first hit you? Yeah. So, you know, before I dive into the specifics about the one that I'm wearing, which is, uh, you know, very, very early, you know, the earliest of Navitimers, um, I, you know, I, I suppose my first exposure to them in, in person in the metal would have been probably at, at a Basel world or something. But, but I do recall, mm-hmm. you know, I've got this good buddy and you've met him on a couple of press trips, uh, Ed Estlo. Oh yeah. Shout out Ed. Who used to do some writing for, for gear patrol and a few other blogs, uh, He's a technical writer and a, and a trained engineer and a good friend who lives here in the Twin Cities. And, and he was always a Breitling guy. And he had like uh, one of those Super Avengers. And then he also had a, a version of the Navitimer, which was called the, the Montbriand, which was like this, I believe it was like an annual calendar. It had kind of a, a, a lighter colored dial. It was, I mean, it was, a, it was a beautiful watch. And every time I saw him and he was wearing that, I would always like ask to look at it. And it was, it was just such a beautiful piece. There's something almost... Uh, kind of mythical about these watches just because it's like looking at, at the supercomputer that was developed during world war two to, to solve the enigma code. You know, it's just, it's just this like wall of wheels and levers and switches and things and, and flashing lights. And, and the Navitimer kind of reminds me of that. It's like, you look at it and it's a bit intimidating and it's, it just doesn't seem like it comes from the same space as almost any other watch, which is, which are so often based on being, very simple and legible and easy to read. And the Navitimer is none of that. And yet it's, it was built, it was concocted out of such a sense of utility. But yeah, over the years, you know, as I'm, I'm sure you can relate, you know, you see them over and over again at Baselworld and they, they, you know, Breitling or in press releases, they would release different versions of them and, and different, uh, you know, tribute pieces. And a few years back, they, they had an anniversary piece that was, was a, you know, pretty much a dead ringer or an exact copy of the one that, that's on my wrist right now. Uh, which was very impressive. And, and it's, it's just been nice to see, you know, Breitling keep it in their lineup for one and, and iterate it a little bit. They even make one that's not a chronograph now, smaller ones that are kind of more intended for women's wrists. And I don't know, it's got some staying power, uh, despite the fact that it's largely illegible and, and completely inscrutable in terms of how to use the, the slide rule. Yeah. I mean, the slide rule is a really fun thing because you can do a ton with it. Yeah. But I feel like most people have to go back to the same two or three YouTube videos every time they want to remember what to do. (laughs) Whether Maybe you remember how to do one or two things, convert Celsius to Fahrenheit or whatever. Yeah. But beyond that, like you're going back to figure some stuff out. And and for me, you know, we did a a whole episode on Hamilton just Mm -hmm. a little while ago. Right, right. And I think so much of what I loved about the complicated crosswind models is that they kind of have that Navitimer vibe. Same with in that Hamilton episode, I, I mentioned having... A, a, a long-standing fondness. One of the first Seikos I ever owned oh, was yeah. one of those SNA Flightmasters. Oh, those are cool. Yeah. Um, the SNA 411. And those, again, are slide rules with a chronograph with kind of smaller, stubby hour and minute hands and, and very much like a, another sort of rip on on the same sort of idea as the mm-hmm. Navitimer. Right. The cool thing about the Navitimer is, in my mind, it's like the original postmodern pilot's watch. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you go back really far, pilots' watches were Fliegers, right? Or mm-hmm. I guess the Santos from right. Cartier, right? Or, or the Mark Eleven, or something, which is such a go. stark yep. sort of yep. You know, just, stop just sign basic. legibility. Yeah. Yeah. The you know you, you go back and watch pilots' movies and that sort of thing, and they're these crystal clear watches with big hands, and sometimes <laughs> you know a lot of contrast and the ability to see them. And then these were also one of the earlier examples of you know along with very early quote-unquote dive or submersible watches mm-hmm. they were huge yeah and the idea was that made them easier to see and then you see 
you know, the war ends in obviously the uh, the mid '40s, and then not that long after, you start to see this boom of postmodern sports watches, which include things. You know, 1953 was a big year for watches in yeah, general. Yeah, right. I think it's an interesting watch to look back on because so many of those watches, if you looked at all of them then. Um, or even if you looked at them 10 years ago before some of these watches had yet like another rise in popularity, I don't think you'd look at the Navitimer and go like, well, this one is like all these other ones that are these simple, straightforward, largely time-only or date or time-only date dive watches or sport watches that have like this extreme clarity to what they do. Yeah. The Navitimer maybe lacks that clarity, but makes it up by having this such like toolish intentions with all the text on the dial yeah yeah and uh yeah i think they're really special like unique things if you go that far back yeah and then you look at all the watches that have been inspired by navitimers and you know i i've i've long been you know despite my kind of propensity for for diving and water sports um you know and, and watches with good water resistance like the navitimer as well as the speedmaster have always kind of also been in, in one of the sort of those out there in that sort of grail territory where I think one day, one day I'll have one of those. I, I don't know when and where I'll wear it, but like, I, I just love the kind of the look and what it comes out of, you know, you mentioned Tom Wolf mm-hmm. and the right stuff and, and that era that, that early fifties when, you know, the jet age was beginning and there were, you know, these test pilots that were, you know, doing these dangerous jobs out at, you know, Murak air, air force base in in the high desert in California, flying you know the 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 bell x1 and and these planes you know jaeger and scott carpenter and these guys and they were they were wearing this watch and and it sort of reflected the increased complexity of aviation and the and the aircrafts that they were they were testing and flying at the time i remember when i was writing a story for probably gear patrol way back when about pilots watches and the navitimer and i was surprised to learn actually that the slide rule function on a watch was actually uh, came earlier, um, also by Breitling on their Chronomat, which which debuted in the early '40s, and it was more of a hmm. scientist's watch, which makes a lot of sense, right? Slide rules for, for you know, before the days of pocket calculators, and that kind of turned into uh, the Navitimer at the behest of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, or AOPA, which kind of requested of Breitling, can we have a watch like this um, for pilots? And and that's how the Navitimer came about. And there's some differing opinions about the year that it was introduced. I think Breitling has said 1952 and, and some people say that, but uh, when you look at, at a lot of the earliest uh, versions of these, they're, they're dated to, to 1954 as is the one that's on my wrist. So not exactly sure. Um, but uh, whatever it is, you know, 52, 53, 54, um, th- this is, this is a 70 year old watch. I mean, which is remarkable in itself. Yeah, I will. I will correct because I I positioned this as coming out the same year as as the sub, and I think it it is largely considered to have been the next year. Yeah, um, in in fifty four. So that's a fair correction. I, I think the other thing that this watch captures that like a Flieger doesn't is that era of the early fifties, like you said, this the jet age era. Mm-hmm. So the war is over, and and World War Two accelerated aviation technology by several generations. Yeah. And the watches that would come out on the other side of that represented this extreme excellence towards being an aviator, mm-hmm. the pride that you would take in being a pilot, yeah. especially a pilot in a military or a test capacity. And and I think that, that the Navitimer manages to capture all of that 
without necessarily exhibiting the baggage of being a military watch. Right. And and that sort of thing. And, and I think there's this like line in the sand on either side where a certain type of watch kind of stopped mm-hmm. and a different type of watch kind of started. Yeah. And I think that's an it's an interesting thing for the Navitimer to represent to to have been the tool of people like Carpenter. <laughs> right. Like the idea that this might have represented another gauge or instrument in the cockpit. Yeah. And and I think there's something about that like mid-century excellence of science and technology and you know what, we're just gonna do it. We're right. gonna go to the moon. We're gonna beat that threat. We're gonna break the sound barrier. All this sort of stuff is all it all is kind of captured in that in the Navitimer, the early ones especially. Yeah, and, and kind of following that thread with with kind of the test pilots in that era, um, I, I think another sort of thread of this is that, you know, this was a watch that we mentioned Scott Carpenter a couple of times, and he also had a, a, a tremendous history in in underwater exploration as well. I mean, he was he was part of the Sea Lab program, and we were just down in in Florida a couple of months ago now at at that facility, and 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 it's remarkable to think that this guy was a test pilot. Uh, one of the first American astronauts in the Mercury program, uh, and then an aquanaut in the Sea Lab program. I mean, really an amazing life. But his history—he—he—he he, he was something of a watch nerd. I mean, you totally. you look up Scott Carpenter, and you'll see him in any number of watches on his wrist. I mean, he—he he was doing. There was a magazine ad that I saw of him with a an Accutron astronaut. Um, I've seen, you know, obviously he's he's well known for wearing a Submariner with a a little compass clipped on the strap, and then uh, he was a he was a Breitling guy way back probably out of his, his test pilot days. And, and when he was part of the Mercury program and was getting ready for his Aurora 7 uh, orbital flight in 1962, he approached Breitling and said, look, I, I really like this watch, but uh, you know, orbiting the, the Earth several times, I'm going to be going from day to night to day to night. I need a, a reference for mission control in Houston, and I'd like to have a 24-hour dial. And so they, they created a version to his spec uh, with with the twenty four hour function and and they called it the cosmonaut of all things, which was kind of what the Soviets were calling their astronauts. But regardless, I mean that was always name. my kind of my grail. It was a bit of a a riff on the Navitimer, just a different enough one that that had a nod to the space program that I really really liked. Um, mm-hmm. But hey, you know this one kind of fell in my lap, and and I'm I'm certainly not going to complain that uh, it's not a cosmonaut. <laughs> I think the other thing that's interesting is one of the other most famous pilots' watches also is dated to we'll call it 1954 in in common parlance with the Rolex GMT Master. Yeah, but there's something again like just so much more intense about the outlook of the Navitimer. It was like time zones, like we're we're breaking the speed limit or <laughs> we're breaking the sound barrier. Yeah, and and you know trying not to come apart in the air. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an entirely different sort of um, yeah sort of outlook on a very like essentially making a watch for a specific industry, which was a very fifties thing to do, right? Right, right. Uh, to have a watch that was tied pretty directly to a certain activity. Yeah, um, and and it's still the way that we think of watches now was sort of developed you know, in and around the, the mid forties through the mid sixties, depending on, on sort of what outlook, whether it was, yeah, a watch for a scientist, a watch for a pilot, a watch for a test pilot, a watch for a cosmonaut. I'd like, how, there aren't that many cosmonauts. There were yeah, yeah. none yeah. at a certain point. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> and then they started making a watch with the name on it. I, I just such a crazy time for uh, all sorts of design and creation and engineering, but definitely for, um, for watches, and I also think this is kind of the starting point 
and and let me let me be clear this is a very north american centric perspective that i'm about to share from my position in canada and jason maybe yours as well as an american mm-hmm. but this is also where watches started to take on an american personality mm. this is a swiss watch to be yeah. clear yeah but has an entirely different vibe than an iwc pilot's watch right or right. or a gmt master yeah right yeah and I think of the Navitimer as an American watch, which of course it isn't. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I, I do too. And I think it's largely because of my my great interest in kind of the, the space race and the jet age and all mm-hmm. of that um, and its connection to that. Um, and maybe we can just attribute that straight up to, to Tom Wolfe and his actually calling out without naming it. Um, clearly, it's this yeah. watch that he's talking about it that, in, in the right stuff. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you right there on on the idea that this is this really represents kind of American aviation of a certain era, and I think also you know we talk about we we've done episodes or we we did an episode on Breitling and I noticed in in that uh, the complete TGN transcripts uh, that that popped up certainly um, and and Breitling as a brand uh, has always kind of existed out there. I, I can't think of okay, I did own a Breitling Emergency once and it was a cool watch. I, I sold that on. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had the aerospace, but I've never been like a huge Breitling fan or owner. Um, I've always kind of admired them from a distance. I I've always found them kind of tough and purpose built and, and, you know, you know, in the parlance of our, our buddy over at watches of espionage, you know, it's like sketchy guys wear Breitlings, you know, like there's this that sort of weird <laughs> history of DiCaprio wearing it in, in, uh, blood diamond and, Oh, uh, yeah. you know, watches that's a good, that's a good whole piece of series. Watch spotting, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's done some fun posts about about sketchy guys wearing Breitlings, and I, I don't think the Navitimer necessarily falls into that territory. But uh, Breitling is just such an interesting brand, and and they've produced such devoted sort of purpose built watches from from the Navitimer to the Aerospace to the Emergency, um, just just really cool stuff. And I think it kind of reflects um, kind of the earliest days of of this territory. Yeah, and I think the the other thing is, while Breitling certainly now and then through all of their heyday made a lot of different models, I still think the Navitimer sits at the core of the brand's identity. Yeah, yeah. Um, more so than an Avenger, more so than an Aerospace, which is an oddball, my favorite of oddballs. Such a good watch. Yeah. But there's something about this watch. There's something about how kind of modern even today it is as the one from 1954 41 millimeters legible luminous uh really carrying a lot of design elements that are still very popular in watchmaking as we learned when breitling did the 1954 reissue in the 807 i i just think it, it does represent sort of the core of what they do it's the right size tons of functionality kind of difficult to look at and go oh that's something other than a Breitling. Yeah. Like if, if you asked me to think of a Breitling, I'd probably think Navitimer. Right. Before Super Ocean or Avenger or Emergency or Chronomat or like they've done so many cool, great sports watches, it's like yeah. especially aviation sports watches. Um, but the the Navitimer definitely feels like the core, at least to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious. Let's jump over to to the actual one that you have. Right. And let's give folks a, a breakdown because it's, it's on your wrist currently, but uh, it's not yet yours confirmed to be yours but it's kind of an exciting thing it is an exciting thing um so kind of the backstory of this is is back in august i got a text message from a a good friend of kashani's and mine and it said hey uh, a a friend of ours found this watch at a thrift shop here in town this is a small town a few hours south of us here 
and uh, you know he he doesn't know much about it. We're just curious if you can weigh in and and you know let us know what it's worth and what you think of it. And there was a photo attached to this text message, and it was this clearly Breitling Navitimer. I mean, there's nothing else that looks like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could tell it was an early one. And and I'm I'm certainly no Navitimer expert, but I've seen my fair share, and I knew that these early ones had this, what they called a beaded bezel. So instead of kind of the milled side of a kind of a steel bezel, it, it you know, these, these little tiny beads that kind of run around the, the outside of the bezel for grip. And so I knew it was an early one, probably fifties. And so kind of went back and forth, sent the photo around a few friends, um, and then said, look, I, I think you've, you're onto something here. It's a cool watch. It's probably worth a fair bit. Uh, you know, I'd like to see it in person someday. So Lo and behold, just last week, so now we're well into October, almost the end of October, uh, we finally got a chance to drive down to, to this uh, town and visit these friends, and, and this watch got pulled out. Uh, these friends were terrified. It was in their safe. They were quite happy to, to get rid of it, uh, get it out of their house. And so I, I took it, I looked at it, wound it, set it, started and stopped the chronograph, runs great, uh, and just kind of started digging into this. And, and then when I got it back home, uh, they let me take it home. And I, I used my little Bergeon case back removal tool, popped off the back, confirmed that indeed it has the Valjoux 72 movement in it, which was only used in Navitimers in the very first year of production, which was 1954. So you, you can count the beads on the bezel and confirm that it has a Valjoux 72. There's no um, 806 marking for the reference number anywhere, which is another clue. Um, so clearly this is a 1954 Navitimer. So first year of production. And meanwhile, this, this person that, that found it at the thrift shop, and I'll get to the most astounding part of this in a minute. Um, he had done a little bit of digging and seeing as it was a small town, it wasn't hard to, to trace, you know, how this, this watch ended up in the thrift shop. And he had found an obituary in the local paper from just a few weeks prior to, to when he found the watch and, and found out that it belonged to a respected member of the community who was a professor at, at the college, um, and a PhD. Um, but before that, in the 1950s, he was a member of the U.S. Air Force, and he was uh, trained for fixed wing and helicopter flying, uh, and and rose to the rank of captain, and then uh, retired from active service and was a reservist for a while until he until he retired entirely from from the Air Force and went on to being a professor. And even after that, he was a private pilot. He would fly his family on vacations around the country. Um, kind of an avid adventurous sort of guy. Um, but anyway, he, he just died in July at the ripe old, old age of 90, presumably his, his, his family, uh, in maybe cleaning up his home and dispositioning the, his belongings, uh, just decided to, to drop off a bunch of his belongings at the, at the local thrift shop, uh, where they, uh, they, they put it along with his gold framed vintage Ray-Ban sunglasses in kind of the bargain basket at the front desk, wow. uh, with the price of, uh, 50 cents. 50 cents. I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that. That's crazy. This friend of a friend bought the watch for 50 cents and he bought the uh, sunglasses for 50 cents. And um, the watch came on on a very early uh, tropic uh, plastic. You can call it rubber if you want, but to me it feels like plastic uh, or a very stiff rubber, I guess. Uh, tropic strap. That is an early one, as you can tell by the curved ends on it. Um, 22 millimeter. Uh, on the watch. Just a really amazing story. Now, this this friend of the friend who bought it was not a, a watch enthusiast at all, didn't really 
have an interest in watches, but, but he knew when he saw this thing and he was a kind of a regular thrift shop visitor, you know, in this town, I suppose some interesting stuff pops up there, whether it's furniture or clothing or old vinyl records or who knows what. Um, but he, he kind of knew there was something special about this. I mean, he saw this thing sitting in the counter in like this bargain bin and just thought, you know, that that's probably worth, (laughs) that's probably worth the investment, you know, 50 cents. And, uh, boy, I mean, just, just, just remarkable. And then to, to track down the backstory of this guy who, who was the original owner mm-hmm. just kind of adds to that, to the mystique of it and kind of the story. And, and so I polished, uh, the crystal, um, as you know, I very carefully didn't want to touch anything else on the watch as we're all kind of known to believe with, with vintage stuff. You just don't mess with it. You don't polish the case, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but crystals are, are, are okay to, to, to polish up and it's acrylic. So I took some poly watch and buffed out the scratches, which shows this just gorgeous, glossy black dial and this gilt printing. And, uh, and yeah, the movement movement looked good when I popped the back off and I saw some watchmakers marks on the inside of the case back that showed that it had been serviced a couple times kind of ending in the late sixties. And, and it's, I've still got it on my wrist. I've worn it nonstop since I think we were down there Friday last week. So, you know, five days or so, and it keeps pretty darn good time. The chronograph works. Um, you know, what's funny about this, speaking of the beaded bezel on these early ones, I mean, they're, they're known. And I think why probably so few still exist is, I mean, they have almost no water resistance. Our, our buddy, James Lambden uh, joked with me and said, you know, these things have the water resistance of a paper bag and a hurricane. And it's true. You know, they're, they're just, uh, Scott Carpenter's cosmonaut flooded because he, he exited the, the capsule on, on his water landing. Um, and, and just immediately flooded the watch. And now it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't even see the dial. It's just completely, uh, corroded over. Um, but when you spin the bezel on this, um, it's not just turning a bezel. It's actually the whole top of the watch, uh, is sitting on top of the case. And the, the crystal is, you know, one with this beaded bezel. So like you're turning the entire crystal as you're spinning this thing. And there's no, there was no gasket when I took the case back off. And I doubt it probably ever had a gasket. It's just a friction, very tight fit. Um, mm-hmm. but certainly there's no gasket under this, this spinning bezel crystal apparatus on this thing. So these things were not meant for, for being anywhere close to water. Well, it's like that, uh, which I think I've referenced on shows before, but one of my favorites, uh, from one of my all time favorite shows, Futurama, and they take their spaceship underwater <laughs> and, uh, and they go, well, how deep can it go? They're fishing with the spaceship and they catch a giant fish and it pulls <laughs> the ship underwater. <laughs> And uh, how deep can it go? He goes, so it's a spaceship. So it's good to between zero and one atmosphere, which is <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same for Navitimers, apparently, you know, the water resistance of an airplane. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Man, it's really gorgeous. And on, on top of that, for those who want to go a little bit deeper, you, I think just today or yesterday, published a story to your Substack. Yes. Um, that would have even more kind of details and, and background on the on the watch and some images. So hit the show notes for that. If you're not subscribed to Jason's Substack, he's uh, too polite to tell you to do it on uh, on our show. So I'll tell you to do it. Uh, you should subscribe. Um, but uh, Touching the Face of God is the name of the of the post. And it's a, it's a really good one. And it has a couple images, which I think is like kind of core to really loving this watch. Yeah. It is, is the, are, are the way that it looks and on your wrist and <laughs> on a certain type of strap, obviously, uh, many people can guess what you might have put it on. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's a really beautiful thing, and I think it, the the other thing that's interesting is it's kind of we decided to do the story today because most of the story has been told, but but I guess not quite all of it. Eh? Yeah, in, in kind of my research and, and helping this friend of the friend who 
who bought this watch. You know, you really wanted to kind of determine the value of it and, and potentially sell it on because it wasn't something that he was interested in keeping, um, mm -hmm. which is great. You know, he, he really loved the story and, and, and likes the fact that I liked it. And he said, look, uh, you know, if, 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 if you'd like to buy it, you'd be my first choice of someone to, to have it just because, you know, you have a, such an interest in it and a reverence for kind of its background. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I, it remains to be seen whether or not this watch becomes mine, uh, whether I can, I can manage that. Uh, you know, I've, I've contacted a few, um, well-known vintage dealers, including James Lambden and, and a couple of others and kind of gotten some info on this. And, uh, we'll see if this, if the stars align and, and things converge, uh, you know, budget wise and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, but as of now I am the custodian of it and it's, uh, it feels so good to have on my wrist and, and it's just a bewitching watch. I mean, it's just a lovely thing, man. That's, that's a cool thing. And if it works out kind of a nice little alignment with, uh, with Sweetwater, yes. uh, yeah. might have to, might have to have an avatimer in the third. Yeah. In the third. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Novel. Yeah. I like that. That's how things happen. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, that's this, I will have to come up with a fun nickname for it. Maybe we'll leave that up to the Slack. Uh, yeah. some sort of a nickname for this special thrift store Navitimer that managed to find you through uh, what feels like several back channels. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, oh, my question, my other question, because I'm sure someone will ask, is if you make an offer on the watch, uh, is it, are the Ray-Bans up, up for grabs as well? The Ray-Bans go with the watch, although, you know... Oh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> they're funky. I mean, they're wild. I'll, I'll have to put a photo on... Uh, on an Instagram yeah. story or something so people can see what these look like. They're not, they're not like the typical kind of Ray-Ban aviators. They're not like aviators. Oh, okay. I was, I was thinking gold frame with the green tint. They, they might've been aviators. I'm sure he bought them to, to use for flying or whatever, but like they're, there's a certain, you know, we talk about vintage watches and like you pick, pick one up and like it has a heft to it. It has a feel of quality. Mm -hmm. It's the same with these glasses. Like I'm not a sunglass collector. I know a lot of people are. These glasses feel substantial. I mean, you can tell these things lasted for, I don't know if they're the exact same vintage as the watch, but like they're, they're decades old and they feel really solid. Man, if you ever come across like an original, like a very early like Wayfarer, yeah. they're heavy. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, really cool stuff. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, a fun story, a gorgeous watch, and I'm glad we got a chance to uh, chit-chat about it and, and a chance to kind of do our first kind of deep dive. So I think when there are these kind of watches that make it to us or conceivably make it to other people mm -hmm. that have a cool backstory, yeah, that's the deep dive on uh, on this beautiful 54 Navitimer. If you've got a great nickname for it, let us know in the... Uh, in the slack and uh and we can we can kind of have a name for it and, and hopefully uh, it works out that it ends up it, i mean if if everything works out and it's the right move and the rest of it i hope that it ends up being yours yeah yeah fingers crossed cool to watch collection between a 54 navitimer and a modern fxd yeah that's true yeah true enough not yeah, leaving one. a ton on the table there right it's Halloween. We've got lots of candy to get to. You want to uh, dive into some final notes? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, this one was recommended by several people and, and certainly... It's a uh, good rec as well. The uh, originator himself has, has kind of put up a few posts on Instagram as well. And this is our buddy, uh, Sug, who's based out in the Bay Area in California. Uh, he goes by Garactical as well. And he has a YouTube channel now. You know, interesting guy. He's a, he's a diver and a, and a watch enthusiast, good photographer, motorcycle enthusiast. And, and he's done... Uh, a bit of uh, translation uh, into Japanese for Hodinki Japan. So really well-rounded, uh, interesting guy. Yeah. Anyway, he's, he's launched a YouTube channel uh, under his own kind of handle, Garactical. Uh, and, and what he's doing is, is really kind of cool. He's, he's taken his love of motorcycle camping or moto camping, uh, whatever you know, people <laughs> that do that call it, 
Um, and he's, he kind of films his experiences. It's, it, these are solo endeavors that he does. There's no, uh, voiceover. He's not talking during these. It's just this very calm, uh, sort of routine that he goes through from the, the actual drive on his motorcycle. I think he's got a triumph and he takes it up into, up into the woods or in some, you know, national forest or state forest or park or something and, and sets up camp. You see him unpacking, setting up the tent. And, and if all of this sounds a bit kind of boring, um, maybe it's not your jam, but I find it just really kind of relaxing to, to watch in, in the same way that watching Dick Prennicky's Alone in the Wilderness, you know, I, I just enjoy watching people mm-hmm. kind of do these, these daily sort of routine tasks, like, you know, starting a fire, uh, getting your, your supper ready, yeah. setting up your tent, packing your yeah. bag. Uh, and he does it nicely. It's, it's really well filmed and it's, it's really interesting stuff. And like you said, like the tone is super methodical. Yeah. So if, if you like these sorts of things, uh, you know, it's, I wouldn't say call it like ASMR or whatever. It's more of like vibe. Yeah. You're just kind of in an experience. Yeah. I get really deep into these rabbit holes on Instagram reels where it's just like people tidying their living room, like a beautiful <laughs> living room. That's just great. like rearranging a book or two. It's not actually dirty. Yeah. Or yeah. like messy. Yeah. Um, but that kind of stuff I find quite calming. And then I, I saw these started to pop up on my Instagram you know, as uh, Sug was uh, sharing them and then to see them also a, a shout out for actually several, like once someone brought it up on Slack, a bunch of people jumped on it and said like, oh, I hadn't seen this and loved it or I've watched every one of these. Yeah. And he's got this incredible motorcycle and this incredible kit of that, that can fit on the bike and he can take very long distances. Yeah. And it's, so it's a little bit of gear. It's a little bit of travel. And then it's a lot of this like methodical, slow, making a coffee, setting up the tent, putting the light on as the, as the sun goes down. It's, they're great. I can't, I can't also, um, kind of co-sign this enough. Uh, Gradical, uh, is a must follow on Instagram and now he's added the, the YouTube vector, which I think is a great move and, and, uh, totally worth everybody checking out. So hit the show notes for that for sure. And uh, shout out to, uh, Sug for, uh, continuing to, to do cool stuff yeah. uh, that we can all kind of enjoy. Yeah, definitely. It makes me want to go motorcycle camping. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, just a side note, speaking of also Duluth, uh, Minnesota, I mentioned that earlier today. I think there's one of our listeners, uh, I'm not going to name his name, but I think he works for a company that that sells those winter like heavy duty tents that have a little heat, heating stove inside with it. So, you know, hey, if, if, if you're listening out there and, and you want to set us up with a sample, uh, I think it'd be really cool to do that this winter. But uh, in any that case, that can be the launch of Sweetwater, a big oh, yeah. winter in camping adventure. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Everybody with their own little yurt and a marine stove. Oh, yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Look yeah. like a bunch of World War II reenactments yeah. <laughs> happening out in a field somewhere. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no guns, more watches. I yeah, like it. yeah. Um, All right, where are you at? I have, um, I have a, a pick this week that is entirely left field. So I don't like, I didn't grow up with comic books and I really don't like modern comic book movies. Mm-hmm. I'm not that, I don't have to have a conversation. I don't, I'm not here to tell you that like Superman or Spider-Man or any of the men are dumb. You can like them by all means. It just doesn't speak to me. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because I grew up with Spider-Man and Batman and the rest of it. And then I kind of, I feel like I grew out of it because there weren't these kind of like gritty violent sort of more adult contemplations of the idea of a superhero mm-hmm. and within the vibe of, of the whole world that has kind of come up in the last few years if you think of something like the boys which is a an incredibly it's the most violent thing i've ever seen so we're going to go with incredibly violent television series about the sort of reality of superheroes 
the yeah. fact that they would be owned by a company, they would be hard <laughs> to manage, they would be celebrities, they would act like impetulant <laughs> gods, essentially. Yeah, I really ad- align with that take is, is where I'm going. Yeah. And one of the things that's come up in that sort of realm of content, this sort of um, anti-side of, su- of the superhero multiverse thing, yeah. is a show called Invincible. Um, which is an adaptation of Robert Kirkman's comic series in which a high school age boy realizes his father is essentially an an amalgam or a a representation of Superman. And then over time realizes that it's not this altruistic Superman thing. And the show basically, especially in its first season, the show basically feels like an after school episode of G.I. Joe. (laughs) It doesn't seem especially expensive. I will give them that the the voice acting is incredible. It's Seth Rogen. It's uh, Stephen Yun plays the main character. It's um, J.K. Simmons is in there. the 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 voice acting is great. the The cast is incredible. I do think that they play a little bit of a trick on the audience in the first episode because you don't really get the tone of the show until the last thirty seconds of the first episode. Huh. But if you grew up like I did with Dragon Ball Z with the hopes of seeing some of these shows kind of continue on into more mature topics. Yeah. And if I'm honest, more fantastical violence. Um, Invincible is among the most violent things I've ever watched. Huh. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it plays off like a kid's show for a few minutes. Yeah. And then they jump on the gas and they kind of never get off of it. And I'm deeply excited for a second season of this. I don't love animation. Like I I talked about Futurama. I'll watch Futurama. So if that sounds interesting, the second season is, uh, is out the day after this episode airs. So November 3rd, I'm sure there's like about 10 or 15 other people and hopefully some of you on the Slack and we can talk about Invincible there. Um, I'm not saying this is going to be for everybody. I think the violence would be a turnoff for most people. But like I said, if you grew up with yeah, everything from Dragon Ball Z to the prequels in the Star Wars universe, like stuff where you just wanted them to take it a step further. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the past year or two, I've sort of adopted this idea that I've, I've got to let down my biases um, and or kind of my rigid criteria for what I watch or read and, and take a chance on stuff. And like, give it an episode, give it maybe two episodes, whether it's a series or something. And, and, and if it sticks, it sticks. And, and I, I can say I've been pleasantly surprised. Like I've never really been into, you know, sort of animated shows like this or uh, Mm sci-fi or horror or things like that. But oftentimes I'll give something a try and I'll, I'll end up watching the whole season or something like, like stranger things, for instance, you know, like there was a show that I just sure. did not think it would work for me, you know, having read about it, or or Game of Thrones and and became absolutely hooked and just loved it all. So I'm not going to say that I'm going to love this, but uh, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. I'll, I'll I'll give one episode a try and see see if it sticks. Yeah, I think in the realm in the realm of things that I've recommended to you, this might be more towards oh. pig than <laughs> okay. a thing. Okay. I'm not okay. sure you'll right. dig well, this, um, but if, if you give it a run, I think if anybody gives it a run, you will understand the show, but it'll take the last minute of the first oh, okay. episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's Invincible season two. And Jason's recommendation for this week's final notes is uh, the Gradical Moto Camping series of videos. Hopefully we get more of those, but you can find all of this in the show notes. And uh, if you end up watching Invincible, whether you start with season one or whatever, and you're offended, you have my apology (laughs) in advance. Shut it off and move on to a warmer type of content. (laughs) 
As always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or consider supporting the show directly, maybe even grab yourself a new TGN sign NATO or jump into the TGN Slack, please visit thegraynado.com. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Chuck Yeager, who said, Rules are made for people who aren't willing to make up their own. <laughs>